0: Welcome to Hunt, Harvest, Health, the podcast with your host, Ryan Lampers, a.k.a. The Stealthy Hunter. Howdy. And myself, Dr. Hillary Lampers, where we share our love for ancestral living and the health topics of the modern age. You can follow us at huntharvesthealth.com, Instagram, and Facebook for more podcasts, recipes, and stories.
1: All right, let's do this.
0: Back country Jesus. Yes.
1: <laughs>
0: you responded to that.
1: Are we on? Yep. No, I did respond. Dang
0: it. You totally responded. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh, Ryan Avery. I <clears> know. <throat> <clears throat> he's, he's said it enough times. <clears throat>
0: <clears throat> Sorry, I had a moment there. Um well everybody, welcome back to Hunt Hearth's Health Podcast. It's Dr. Hillary and Backcountry Jesus, Ryan Landers. <laughs> no. He has a new name now. He was Stealthy Hunter, but now we're gonna change his Instagram handle to Backcountry Jesus. Hmm. And it's not because he I mean, he loves Jesus, but he looks like Jesus at this point. <laughs> My grandma saw I sent her a picture of us and she said, Is his hair longer than your hair? And I said, Pretty much. She's hmm. like, Jeez
1: yeah Paley wants to cut it so it'll it'll grow longer, so longer she wants it to keep on I think Tana going. would
0: be traumatized if you cut your hair off she she, she yeah, literally she, looks at pictures with you with no facial hair and long and short hair she She's does totally not get confused. that it's you he's yeah, like no she can't figure it out that's not dad I'm like yeah that's him
1: well I'm pretty scruffy after this recent trip I just got back last night me and Brian call had another big adventure and um Great trip, but we were pretty dirty when we walked in the door. I
0: mean, you were very dirty. I don't know if I've seen you that dirty in a long time, like even after a trip. And Brian looked like he lost like 20 pounds, (laughs) he looked kind of gaunt, and you were like filthy.
1: I'm always gaunt after these trips, I come back pretty thin, but yeah, but it was a great one. It was uh adventure filled from start to finish, a lot of miles. Probably more miles than, um, I've ever done on a bear hunt, just in and out and some boating and all kinds of stuff. It was, uh, saw a lot of really, really cool animals, Saw elk, grizzly, black bear, mm-hmm. mule deer, saw a lot of cool stuff, cool places, totally new area we'd never been to and checked it out and found some success, came back with a couple
0: imagine that well those poor little bears so cute big bears and then they just get big old boar <laughs> oh, that's right you keep correcting me when i say that you don't like that word little well, little bear no they were big bears for sure
1: but yeah so a good 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 trip and that's it hunting for a while spring hunting is over <laughs> oh um, gosh
0: i just don't even listen to that anymore
1: And then you'll be
0: coming back and August, maybe? You know how to stress me out. You're like, I'm just going to leave for a few days. It'll just be like six days. And I'll be like, we have so much to do right now. You are like going to kill me. <laughs> well, <laughs> my August.
1: In-reach, my in messages were, they weren't, uh, I guess, very friendly. <laughs> Coming back from you, I could tell. I was mad. You were stressed.
0: It was it stressed. Was, it was a
1: tough time to leave. We for sure. have it was brutal.
0: A Western Summits coming up. Yeah. We have a whole new CBD line about to drop. We mm-hmm. have websites. We have, we have rifle covers. We have... What else do we have? We have multiple businesses going on. And Ryan's like, oh, by the way, I'm going to go hunting again. So... I will say, yeah, your messages while I'm pulling my hair out, and I'm working my clinic job, and I have kids. Yeah, I was pretty much like, enjoy that adventure because, but I was nice last night. I got over it. You know, I just realized in this world that I'll get to have my adventures when I'm like 80, probably, in my own head when I'm in a nursing home. (laughs) Because at this point, (laughs) I'm just like, my job is to work to Mm. take care of children while you go and you have multiple adventures Mm. um because now we have a farm basically and i don't get to have an adventure that's not my course in life right now we do have
1: a lot of animals right now yeah ducks chickens dogs
0: yeah anyways so um we have a good podcast. This one um, is with our friend Matt Skoglund from North Bridger Bison. I approached Matt a couple weeks ago. I said, Will you do an Instagram live with me? This was his first Instagram live. Um, and uh, we talked about meat and we talked about the whole issue right now of food shortage and meat processing, um, the, Prime Act, the Prime Act, the USDA regulations. And uh, it's kind of funny because the same week that I recorded this with him, I think uh, Joe Salton was on Joe Rogan's podcast, Just, just kind of serendipitous, but um, I listened to that with him. And so that's also a really good podcast if you want to go listen to kind of like what is going on right now in the whole meat and the whole f- small farm uh, meat ranching world. Mm-hmm. Um and how the COVID situation has changed um, a lot of meat production. Um, Matt talks about basically the meat industry in the United States is controlled by like four corporations and that's where most of the meat comes from. So the whole idea of small farmers and ranchers selling their meat. Uh, there's a whole process. Yes, there's a whole process they have to go through in order to get that meat butchered by an appropriate butcher and certified to sell it. it makes it very difficult. And there's really not enough slaughterhouses. To get
1: your meat local. To
0: get it local, yeah. So there's just, uh, he, he had a statistic of like, there was 50 years ago, there was like, Hundreds or maybe thousands—I can't remember exactly—of um, slaughterhouses where you could take your animals and you could get them slaughtered and then you could sell them. Now there's very few. Like the state of Montana has like one or two, and he said they're they're basically backed up till like January of next year or something. So if you're not on the list right now or you needed animals that you wanted to sell, you you would you would not be able to sell them till next year. So it's a process that I don't think I, I know. Most people don't even think about. They just go to the store and buy their meat. And right.
1: And so he describes like... So when you guys were doing that Instagram live, I was in the garden doing some things down there and I listened to the whole thing. Well, you guys were live and it was a great, great talk. Uh, I really like... Um, I always yeah. like listening to Matt, but... It he was talks really good. for most talks, of it. He talks about the Primac, what it is, yeah. how it works, um, the value of it, why it's important, so
0: yeah it's a it's a good one so the audio is a little funky folks because i was supposed to record it and it didn't record on my phone and um so i had to re-record it from my phone like it's super confusing so hopefully it's it's we're able to listen to it but it's one of those conversations you can't really duplicate it's i could i guess we could do a podcast on the same topic but it would be really hard to duplicate
1: yeah it's always better the first time yeah
0: So, the audio might be a little rough, but I'll do my best at editing it. Um, We do have the Western Hunting Summit. Quarantine has been dropped as of June 1st, which is today. Today, yeah. Hallelujah! Backcountry Jesus. Pray to backcountry Jesus. He saved us. (laughs) So, the summits are go.
1: So, we're full tilt on getting those.
0: Yeah. And we All do still, if you're local in, or done. you want to travel and you want to come, um, we do have openings for the end of the month, Mule Deer Summit, where Remy Warren's going to be speaking. Now, and we,
1: we've had quite a few people who were signed up, whole, they wanted yeah. us to hold their passes for next we year. A lot and of people, yeah. There's a lot of reasons for that. A lot of it has to do with COVID and issues around COVID. And travel. Which is completely understandable, so... We're holding some folks' passes for next year, so they'll come and attend. But it opened up spots for this year's. So there are there are places available now for yeah. for those summits.
0: Um, and then there's a bear hunting summit the weekend of July 9th, and that's going to be a small group. Mm-hmm. And I'm actually going to go on that one. So I'm going to go hunting and learn about bears. Hunting? Well, we're going well, hiking. I'm going to go hiking. <laughs> I mean, oh, sorry. Um... Ryan's you're giving me that look like
1: it's like well it's not even hunting season no
0: i mean i, I all i It'll meant feel like let's go let's you. circle back to the beginning of this i get to actually go on the adventure <laughs> instead of just planning the adventure and then not actually getting to go so um mm-hmm. i'm going to go on that one it's going to be a small group but if you still want to come learn about bears from the master himself over here um and brian barney and cody rich master and um yeah come to that one if you want it'll be july in montana it'll be beautiful and hot so
1: yes it will it's going to be a hotter hike than the rest of the summits most likely in july
0: and so yeah please join us if you would like or go get on at westernhuntingsummit.com Get on the newsletter list if you're interested in next year because we are going to be organized this year and we are probably going to drop our dates for next year in July or right, August. Right. Yep. And if you're on that list, you're going to be the first to get it. And I'll tell you right now, Elk Summit is probably more than half full with all the guys that we had move. move. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you know you want to do elk next year, and we don't know how many we're going to have, but for right now we're going to have one you want to make sure you get on that newsletter list so we can send you an email about it. And I don't harass you with emails. Believe me. I, I try and <laughs> it's then hard it lasts not, for like two weeks. It's hard enough for us to an email out. So <laughs> yeah.
1: there's not going to be many.
0: No. So um, that would be one way to get information about next year, which we'll be dropping. And for those of you who have asked if we are going to do an online thing, yes, we will. And we will be putting that together. So, Stay tuned for that, and if you're on the newsletter list, you will get that information as well. If you can't travel, and you're stuck at home, and you want to listen to all the speakers and stuff like that, you can get more info on that. Um, what else? Rifle covers. I mean, we chatted about this in the last podcast a little bit, but... Mm-hmm. Um, we're still working on getting inventory, but we've had a lot of people order. So if yeah, you we want had the, one. We
1: had the pre launch and it went very well. It did. Um, so now we are kind of gathering, you know, now that we know
0: resources.
1: Yeah, how many uh, are going to move and, um, you know, we're getting them manufactured. Yeah. A little bit, stepping it up a little bit because we're a little behind.
0: Yeah. So if you want one of those, you better go get, get one and get on the list so you'll get one as well. Right. And you can do that at steltheowner.com, which is our website. Um, and we, let's see, um, I did a post last week on kombucha. Uh, we made some, i made my very first batch of kombucha since we moved to Montana. And that was fun. And it was pretty good so
1: yep i had some me and brian call had some this morning yeah for breakfast. it was delicious
0: yep and uh so we do have a podcast on it i forget which one it is i think it's like 12 or something but you can go listen to that you can there's a recipe on the website you can make your own um but you can also see that post on instagram Um that was fun so now i have two more b- batches going and we're gonna have consistent kombucha because here's the deal First of all, you may not even know what kombucha is, or as our older daughter used to call it, kombucha. And she still doesn't understand why it's not called kombucha. Kombucha. I was trying to tell her there's no N in it. Oh, really? Um, If you don't know what it is, then this would be a good time to go learn about it. If you do know what it is and you like to drink it and you pay $4 for a bottle of it at the store, you definitely need to make your own. Because the Scobies, for four Scobies, it cost me $7.99 and it takes a week with one scoby to make a batch
1: and they reproduce like crazy
0: and there's a baby that's made every single batch so pretty soon you can have an entire kombucha processing plant in your kitchen and you don't not all you have to pay for is sugar and black tea that's how cheap and water um and the $7 scoby that keeps having babies. It's like the rabbit that keeps multiplying. You buy two rabbits and then the next thing you know, you have 20 rabbits. So uh, I would definitely recommend doing that. And it saves you a lot of money. And then you can experiment. And you can make your own different kinds of kombucha. But the kids love it. It's a great way to get beneficial bacteria into your gut. You can make it a little sweeter if you want with fruits. Like a second fermentation, which I do have in the instructions as well or the like the first batch I made, it wasn't that sweet. It tasted good. It wasn't super sweet. So some people like that. It does have sugar in it and it does have caffeine in it, but that's what feeds the SCOBY. So by the time you actually get the drink, there's really not hardly any sugar left in it. It's been fermented into beneficial bacteria and there's not really that much caffeine either. And that is the secret. you You do need a caffeinated tea. So you need green tea or black tea. One of the best things you can do right now, we live in a crazy world right now. It is a crazy world. Sometimes we don't have control over everything in our life. A lot of times we don't have control. And I think this has showed us that, right? One thing you do have control over is your food. And whether or not, I would say, however you can, try to support small local farmers. Go to the, I mean, ridiculous thing is they keep Costco open, but they shut the farmer's market down. Like, doesn't make any sense, but whatever. But it's the time of year now where they're going to start opening farmers' markets again. You can find small farmers around you. You can go buy eggs from a local person. You can, um, you know, buy a quarter of a pig from somebody and have bacon and, and, I think what you'll learn from Matt's talk is that supporting small farmers supports the environment. It supports human rights and it supports animal rights. So if you're into those things and you care about other humans and you care about animals and you care about the environment in which you live in, do one small thing and try to source some of your food from small farmers because you may not be able to do all of it, but as much as you can... And the other thing is, is the healthier the food you eat, the less you have to eat. The more nutrient-dense food you eat, the less you have to eat. So if you're buying cheap, bad food, the more you need to eat because the more hungry you're going to be because of your blood sugar and stuff. So that's just kind of the one thing I wanted to say about this is um, what's what's the good that can come out of this is um, learning where your food comes from and supporting the people that work super hard to keep you healthy like if you see what matt does to get meat to your plate <laughs> i mean that guy cares about your food shop local shop local all right thanks everybody have a good day um yeah. are, are you out at the farm or are you in town
2: yep out at the ranch um okay. the bison are actually nearby and are uh, they yeah, I was gonna uh, see if I can. Uh,
0: so for those of you myself. who don't know, Matt and his um, his ranch, his bison ranch, oh, amazing out there, and the oh, buffalo, they just kind of roam around close to his home, out in the fields.
2: <laughs> they, they just left. I'm not kidding. They were they were here.
0: Uh, oh, they're camera anyways. shy. They're kind of like my husband. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's Um,
2: awesome. Anyways, how are you guys?
0: We're good. Um, I was just telling everybody while we were waiting for you that we're, you know, gardening right now. Ryan's actually outside trying to get a bunch of boxes done um, because he's going on the back country tomorrow again, but it's been so windy. I don't know if you guys are having a lot of wind there, but it's been super windy here so we have to build we're having to build a lot of wind barriers and stuff this year for our plants um because we don't have a greenhouse yet that's our hope that we're gonna maybe be able to build a greenhouse maybe this summer at some point but right now we (laughs) we're just trying to figure it out but the wind has been relentless it's like never ending so
2: yeah no it's uh weather's here has been Crazy in the past week. It was what's today? Wednesday? Two days ago, Monday was the hottest day of the year so far. And then yesterday, it was just crazy with uh, wind, and then rain, and then sun, and then wind, and then rain, and then Monday night. Sarah and I were watching. There was some crazy storm to the north of us. Um, it was just like a small pocket of clouds, but it was there were flashes of lightning, li- literally. Every second, it was. I've never seen anything like it. So it's you know kind of classic spring, crazy Montana weather.
0: Yeah, we've had it every night. We've had the like lightning storms every night, which is kind of nice. I like it. I, I kind of like that spring thunder and lightning storm, um, which we rarely ever got in Washington. It just kind of rained all the time. This is like you know the storms come in and then they kind of go away, and then it can be sunny half an hour later. So. That's what I, I love about the Rockies. Um, okay, cool. So I kind of sent you a list of questions. I have no idea how much you know about it. I kind of put you on the spot with this, but a couple weeks ago, I was reading about this new Prime Act that was proposed um, and it had to do with local cattle farmers and selling their meat locally or to restaurants, etc. cetera um trying to meet the new consumer demand for food without having to go through the very rigorous USDA process that um, we actually talked a little bit about this in our podcast that we did with you. So if, if you're watching right now and you haven't listened to Matt's podcast, it's a um, podcast 114 on Hunt and Harvest Health. Oh no, 108. I'm sorry. 114. I don't know where that came from. Uh, one, 108. And you talk in there about kind of the process that you do when you field harvest a bison and I was thinking maybe you could talk about that a little bit first introduce yourself and like who you are and maybe why I asked you because you have a back what your background is and then um, what what you do once you field harvest a bison what you the law requires that you do in order to sell that meat
2: Sure, so, um, uh, sorry, <laughs> Aldo came over to say hi. Um, <laughs> so yeah, so my name's Matt Skoglund, and uh, together with my wife, Sarah and our kids, Otto and Greta, we started and, and run, on, own and operate North Bridger Bison, which is a, 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 a grass-fed bison ranch and bison meat business uh, located about 30 miles northeast of Bozeman, Montana, on the west side of the Shields Valley. Um, Our website's northbridger.com. We sort of explain everything in in detail, maybe too much detail at times, um, on the website. And, um, um, yeah, and and so as we talked on the podcast, this, for me, this is my, I guess, third career. I had a short, I went to law school, and then um had a short stint as a as a lawyer and then i did environmental policy work for um just about a decade out here before we took the leap in starting the ranch um so uh so yeah so you know um so ha- that that's my background and then with what we do um you know we as i was telling hillary and ryan um we with our bison operation we raise bison for meat and we kill our animals here on the ranch um they don't get put on a livestock trailer and you know shipped two or three hours away and sitting in a pen um anything like that and i mean if you go big picture um uh well, you can say hi um, hi y'all uh, he's he's the, <laughs> um, um you know, so with, uh, with bison, you know, most, most folks, I think, probably think that they're all out frolicking on the prairie when over 90% of them are, you know, finished on grain in feedlots. And even the grass-fed ones are, at the end, ultimately, you know, trucked somewhere, um, which, you know, for any animal is probably stressful, or I'm sure it's stressful, but particularly for bison, the stress is just through the roof. So um, we, we were very inspired by uh, Wild Idea Buffalo in South Dakota, and Dan O'Brien and his memoir, Buffalo for the Broken Heart. Um, so yeah, so we, we right now sell, um, we pre-sell each animal uh, in quarters or halves. Um, and then once we've sold an animal, I go out into the pasture where the bison are. We don't separate them or move them to a kill pasture or anything like that. Um, uh, any of that for them, you know, the herd instinct is so strong, for, for bison, that any any anything like that would just add stress to them. So I drive out right in and among the animals, and um, uh, based on their ear tags, know who the meat animals are. And the uh, you know the first one that presents a good shot, stay in the truck. They're, you know, again, they know me, they know my truck. Um, usually, average shots like twenty to thirty yards, single shot to the head with a three hundred eight rifle. Um, you know, which. To, to some folks, I think you know, it probably sounds like gruesome and crazy, but you know, it's it's we feel really strongly. It's, there's there's no better way to um, no no more ethical humane way to do it. Um, and then we, I feel, dress the animal, take it to our processor. They then skin it, um, have it, wash it, um, dry age it for 10, 14 days, and then and then cut and wrap it. So we're in the process of um, um, getting a mobile slaughter unit up and running which will allow us to do to field harvest do the same thing we're doing but do it under state inspection here on the ranch which will allow us to sell our meat however we want to so right now again we're, we're pre-selling each animal and then selling it you know to four folks and then once we're at the mobile slaughter unit up and running we can start selling um, you know, smaller portions like 10 pounds of ground, ground bison and a couple steaks, all the restaurants, caterers. Um, so anyway, so in getting this whole thing up and running, the regulations and rules around meat processing obviously required a lot of research and um, uh, just understanding them. And um, we, I guess that's a good segue into, um, you know, this question about the, the Prime Act and the current state of meat processing. Um, today, which the COVID pandemic is um, shining a big bright light on how um, I think, the, you know how fragile and consolidated our meat sy- our our entire food system, but in this case, talking about meat, yeah. our meat system has become, and so um, something like this pandemic is 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 literally. Um, leading to uh all at the same time you're leading to meat shortages millions of animals are being euthanized and killed around the country um ranchers are terrified about going bankrupt terrified about prices um and then there you know are in certain places not anywhere i've seen here in montana but i've you know read about places where they've got meat shortages or quotas and you can only buy so much and this and that um so I think I mean the the long and short of it is that maybe you know let's say 50 years ago there used to be thousands of meat processors around the country um and that number has 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 now you know dwindled by several thousand um there's some crazy stats out there like you know 50 plants account for 98% of meat processing or 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 something like that and um, you know, when it comes to beef, you know, four big companies—Cargill, uh, JBS, Smithfield, maybe Tyson—control 95 or 98 percent of the industry. Um, mm-hmm. And there's lots of really great articles and editorials and op-eds out there about the issues that result from such a consolidated industry. Um, Uh, and, and, and so what happens is if you, and and, and not to mention that those, those giant plants, I mean, they're, they're, they're enormous factories, um, uh, you know, killing and processing like an insane number of animals per minute, with people working shoulder to shoulder and the the whole system set up, you know, these with hogs and chickens. and, And so all of a sudden you have something like COVID where plants are shutting down and people are getting sick. And, um, the, it's showing that our entire system is is sort of falling apart um, so the prime act is is um, it's called with prime act it's the processing revival and interstate meat yeah. exemption act Good job. Um, processing, yeah processing revival and interstate meat exemption act yes
0: yeah
2: so and so basically that i guess that was introduced um you know, uh, I think five years ago it has—it's—it's it's never passed, but it's—it's now—it's now being brought up again, because one of the issues with this consolidation is. Um, so, kind of back to like what we're doing, the what we're doing is called custom exempt. So we we're pre-selling a live animal to, to four people, and then um, and then having it processed. But all that meat is then stamped not for sale. You know they can't turn it around and, and sell it to a restaurant. Um, but like the meat you buy at a grocery store or a restaurant, that has to be um, slaughtered and processed at in at an inspected facility somewhere. Um, here in Montana, there's there different rules that apply apply to bison. But let's just take beef for example. Um, um, uh, if if it, beef needs to be slaughtered and processed at a state inspected facility in order to be sold in the state of montana and then if it wants and then if you want to sell it across state lines it needs to be sold it needs to be processed and 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 slaughtered at at a usda a federal inspected facility um and you know with like i said in the last 50 years thousands of these meat processors have closed um due to this consolidation and um it means that you know Farmers and rancher, or, you know, or ranchers have to uh, are kind of at the mercy of, of these big plants um, for the most part, and need to send their animals long distances in order to get slaughtered. Um, and so, what the the Prime Act would do would would basically just loosen the regulations to allow more flexibility with processing in state and then selling in state. Um, and so, you know. I don't know if it'll pass. I, I, I doubt it just because, um, you know, the reality of issues like this in, in, in the U.S. or anywhere probably, but just speak for our country, you know, it comes down to politics where, um, you know, the pork industry, for example, is against the Prime Act. And, um, you know, they, they have a very vested interest to keep the status quo, the status quo. Um, it 's working yeah. very well for them you know they 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 make a lot of money based on the current situation where um, you know farm workers are, are or the plant workers work in horrible conditions and you know i ranchers I was talking to a rancher a cattle rancher on maybe a week and a half ago and uh he kept using the word criminal over and over and over, and he was saying that you know meat prices in the store are going up at the same time ranchers are getting paid less for their meat. And he just said, he, you know, he didn't understand it, just kept using the word criminal. Um, but I think it all goes back to that consolidation. And um, yeah, so I think, you know, I guess I actually, well, um, so I think, I mean, there's, yeah, it's hard. There's so, there's so many, there's so many things to talk about, but I think most importantly, you know, one really key takeaway is how desperately we need to get away from this consolidation AND WE NEED MORE LOCAL AND REGIONAL PROCESSING FACILITIES. Um, AND I THINK THAT INDIVIDUALS OUT THERE CAN HELP MAKE THAT HAPPEN BY um, SEEKING OUT AND BUYING FROM, YOU KNOW, WHETHER IT'S LOCAL BUTCHER butcher SHOPS, DIRECTLY FROM RANCHERS, BUT SPEAKING WITH THEIR MONEY, SPEAKING WITH THEIR DOLLARS, um, AS WELL AS CONTACTING THEIR, uh, YOU KNOW, CONGRESSIONAL DELEGATION, THEIR, their TWO U.S. SENATORS AND THE and their uh representative in the house and saying hey this is crazy i want to see this change because it gets like it's all i remember that i saw some you know everyone there's all this stuff going around it's all this stuff going around online i saw a meme uh, about oil prices and it said something like um, if oil prices go any lower exxon's gonna have to fire some of its congressmen um, <laughs> and, you know, I think the same thing's true for the pork industry. That you know, that these you know, um, whether it's agency officials or legislators, you know, yeah. they, they say jump, and 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 the, and the legislators and agency folks say how high, um, and so if if and so so the 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 regulations and the rules are set up to favor the, the consolidation right now, um, and you know nothing can change overnight, like. Um, sort of Prime Act aside, like again in the state of Montana, you know we 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 don't have that many um, small local processing facilities, that many state inspected facilities, and just you know I knew we were doing this tonight, so I called a few um, just to, and I just said, hey, if I if I wanted to bring in a steer, um, where where are you guys at? And one said they're booked booked out to twenty. February 2021, the other one said, Uh booked clear through the end of the year, I can be put on the wait list. Um, And um, that they, uh, I said, how about 2021? Said, you know, I don't have a calendar for 2021 yet, so I'm not even going there. Other one into January, same thing, you can be put on the cancellation list. So I guess my point is like, even if tomorrow folks started saying, hey, I want to start buying more direct from ranchers, you know, ranchers are going to have a hard time finding processors to process their animals. So, um, you know, I, we additionally need, and this this is more, I was on a call a week or two ago with a, a few folks in on the, you know, food ag side, and then the Montana Department of Livestock and our Department of Agriculture. And on, our, on the state side, our Department of Livestock and um, Department of Agriculture are great. Like they are really good at helping producers in the state you know they they would love to see these changes they and they know that it's it's up to it's a it's a federal issue um so when i was talking earlier about that stuff i wasn't talking about our our folks here in the state governor bullock's written a letter um you know department of livestock has has pushed for these for this stuff but it but you know it really comes down to is um or i guess one piece of it is um is I guess the business side of things, the capital side. You know, someone saying I, I want to open a new processing facility in Three Forks, Montana, or wherever, um, and then and then and, and and which requires a fair bit of capital to start up, and then and so I guess where, where folks can help on the consumer side is making sure that they're buying meat from from them to make sure that that business is viable. Right. Um, so you know, there's no 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 quick fix or, or silver bullet to it. Um, And I realize I've been talking like an animal for like 10 minutes straight, so. (laughs) That's
0: why I like talking to uh, you, because you you don't like, you're not someone I have to like ask questions to. You like, you (laughs) know your stuff And, and, you know, I think that this is a great lesson in kind of the general population. Even those of us who live out rurally and we may not be ranchers or farmers, but, you know, we have a garden and, you know, Ryan hunts and you hunt a couple times a year, you get some meat. But you know you're typically still buying meat at the grocery store of some kind maybe you're buying bacon or you buy chicken once in a while you buy a turkey at thanksgiving um or you go out to eat like covid's really put the kibosh on going out to eat but prior to this like eating out was like a daily event for most people and you're not really thinking to yourself like oh i'm gonna have chicken for dinner and you're not having all these little thoughts you know most people aren't and it goes to show you that the disconnection that we've just really been trained about in our food and that we have such so much trust in these very large corporations that really have a monopoly in the market Um, and they're requiring through their lobbying efforts and et cetera, like you were saying, is that the requirements now become so hard for that small farmer, small rancher. And then by not having processing facilities, it even improves and lines their pockets because they know that like you guys, you have no choice. You have to go through that system and or consolidate your animals and send them to them because you can't wait till 2021 to get your animals slaughtered, right? And I don't think that people put those, they they don't connect those dots when they go out to eat in a restaurant, even in their local town, because traditionally that meat's not even local, right? It had to be certified, inspected, butchered in a USDA facility. And if Montana only has a couple of those and they're booked out till God knows when, right? It's likely the meat that you're eating in that restaurant is not local in the least. And um, it was, it's just like everything else. And so it's almost, it almost seems overwhelming, right? When you talk about this and you read about this and you look at the laws and you look at how, it's kind of like in my industry with the pharmaceutical companies, like it just seems so big. How could you ever like you know how can we ever like overcome that type of money, that type of influence and and you know that that the setups that truly move towards more monopoly um if you've only got four companies that are the big ones supplying multi millions of people their meat, you know um it doesn't leave much room for the small guy. And so, you know, what we've tried to do is we're really fortunate because we hunt and we have meat and maybe we don't think about this all the time, but what 90% of the population doesn't hunt. And so they are not thinking about these things. They just know that they want to eat meat. And the other thing is, is how expensive it is, right? Like it's cheaper to go to Walmart and buy beef at Walmart um, than it is to buy a buffalo right to buy a quarter of a bison but it's really comes to the education of you're not just support you're not just paying extra money for that bison you're supporting you and you're supporting this system you're 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 making a small dent in a very large and likely corrupt system um and i think that's where these big companies they get people right is the pocketbook it's it's like it's cheap um you can get it for inexpensive and um they make people feel safe because it's usda controlled right but when you have plants of like you said people working shoulder to shoulder long hours um with probably not good pay and not good benefits and i know a lot of these plants have had problems with like illegal immigrants right and people that they can probably treat not very well you know, and I'm just assuming here. I'm not saying they do that, but um, the, all yeah, that no, no, it's, t-
2: it's,
0: comes down to all that, so.
2: Yeah, no, I, I it, um, for sure, I mean, there's, like you said, there's a lot to unpack. I mean, there, there's been uh, some, many great, great's not the right word, but I guess eye-opening and sobering articles and podcasts on, you know, the... uh both, you know, uh, migrant farm workers on, on on farms in America, and the folks in the in these meat plants. And you're absolutely right. I mean, the the conditions are horrible. The treatment of the uh, of the workers is horrible. It's a lot of exploitation of you know undocumented workers who, um, uh, you know, don't aren't, aren't I don't know. I guess just are 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 being taken advantage of. Maybe is okay. the best way to say it. And um, so that, that side of it is, is horrible. And, you know, there's these ag gag laws where they don't want people to know what's going on. And um, uh, so, but I don't think, you know, I, I feel like um, I don't want to be Pollyanna here, but, you know, um, you know I, don't, I don't think it's a lost cause. I mean, one bright spot here is that we're having this conversation right now. There's been all sorts of podcasts. The New York Times has been covering this left and right. I mean, it's been all over the place. Is that people are waking up to the fact right now that there is this brutal messed up system in place and right now more people than ever are buying direct from farmers and buying direct from ranchers and farms and ranches there's all these stories of folks overnight who are changing their model to try to meet consumer demand i mean we're fortunate that from day one we set up to sell direct to consumer um so we just we've just gotten busier but um, uh, you know, lot lot of farms and ranches changing overnight and um, and speeding up. Like you know, another great kind of famous operation is White Oak Pastures, and mm-hmm. um, they've got a yeah, great great operation, great great blog. Uh, Will Harris, I think his name is. Um, he, he, he does an awesome job. So I think that you know um, uh, you know at the end of the day. Um, we, you know, consumers have have the ability to affect change in, in this area, um, yeah. and, and
0: and. Sorry, my dogs are going crazy. I was listening.
2: Oh no 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 worries, um, and you know, at the end of the day, people. I mean, these companies, you know. Um, yes some I think regulations and stuff need to be changed and and to, to level the playing field to, um, and you know because this again the status quo the system is set up you know we you know America our policy we, we have we made the decision years ago we want cheap food and there are a lot of really bad consequences that come from that um, that are all externalized and you know whether it's environmental you know, humanitarian, um, so, so so many things. And, um, and, and now we have this system in place like these massive factories all there to generate cheap meat. Um, and you know, yes, does like the processor that we work with, is that more expensive? Absolutely. But the end product is better and it's more resilient. And, um, uh, you know, you know, and and you know we got this mobile slaughter trailer because for us you know field harvest is is so important to what we do um and we won't we won't compromise on that um so we we're, we're we're figuring out how we can work within the system to do it the way we want to do it which is field harvest our bison on the ranch um and but yeah i just think that you know we've seen a lot of weird things happen over the years in different industries that we never thought you know would be possible i know my dad always gives the example of Starbucks he's like he's like man he's like never my million in million years did I think people would go around spending four dollars for coffee you know when he was yeah. a young guy like you drank crappy coffee for 50 cents and that was life yeah. and I'm sure people thought that um what is something was Ralph something Schultz I can't remember his name but um the founder of Starbucks I'm sure people thought he was crazy and now what look at look at look look at Bozeman there's like 19 specialty coffee shops so they're, they're, I absolutely believe that that you know, um, there's nothing. Whatever you know, um, the best disinfectant in sunlight, and you know the. Um, I, I think change is is happening as as and it's it's as, as evidenced by right now. So many people seeking out farmers and ranchers. Um, I just got a call today and was listening to a podcast about this relatively new company, Barn to Door. They're all about helping farmers and ranchers transition. To go direct to oh, consumer and cut out the middle person, cool. um, and you know it's like win 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 because it's gonna it decentralizes things. The food system's more resilient. It puts more money in farmers and ranchers' pockets, which mm-hmm. th- which means it stays in their in their communities. Protects open space. Provides wildlife habitat. So many things result from um, from that happening. And a, a great example in I'm on the board of the co-op in in bozeman the food co-op and um Mm -hmm. um, and and they yeah so they um we had a meeting our our monthly meeting like uh, last week and we were talking about all this different stuff and they buy they buy their pork from a a hog farmer in whitehall montana and they buy their beef from the bee bar ranch in Tom Miner basin which is processed at pioneer meats and big timber and i was uh and they were talking about the way, you know, um, they've got no beef shortage. So there's beef shortages everywhere. And I saw the manager, Wyatt, of the co-op, the meat, meat and seafood manager, who's who's amazing, the next day. I know, Wyatt. I he married about, one of my best
0: friends he, from high school. <laughs> oh, my
2: God. Oh, my <laughs> yeah. God. He's, he's an amazing guy. I used to, go to he's, he's a, <clears> Wow. Yeah, he's, he's just a, um, you know, very thorough... Uh, passionate super smart guy uh, you know, about meat and seafood and um, yeah. and I was telling him about I was like you know I was just like hey I was just citing you guys there's a great example that like people say oh local regional but look at the co-op like they have a regional food system and it has been no disruption whatsoever and he looked at me like stone faced and he was like 68 miles I mean he knows exactly how far you know the processor is from the co-op and I took a picture of it cuz the you know the meat case of the co-ops overflowing with meat from you know 100 miles away and so i think that you know local kind of gets poo-pooed as like i don't know you know hippy dippy expensive you know it's got some sort of i don't know uh, bad agenda but at the end of the day what's showing right now is it's it's more resilient it's better for the community um uh, uh on so many levels so i think that consumers like you know seeking out farmers and ranchers um and then hopefully maybe someone listening is their dream is to open um hopefully a lot of people listening is that they want to open uh, brick and mortar meat processing facility small brick and mortar meat processing facilities all around the country um you know because one thing we're super lucky that we do have some really good processors around here um that we've developed good relationships with and and so they work with us to get our animals in when uh you know when i I've sold an animal, and I field harvest here on the ranch. Um, they they really do an awesome job of, of working with us, um, but we're we're the exception. You know, most people, you know, most of our farming and ranching is done in rural areas. Yeah, and they're they very far. It if, you
0: know, so far. If
2: you're nine hours or ten hours from a processing facility, like yeah. you know, we couldn't do what we're doing. Um, yeah. So. Um, so, anyways, I I, I definitely am, am extremely hopeful that uh, um, you know while this crisis, this, this COVID, has been a, you know a tragic on so many levels, you know a little silver lining is that people are waking up to um, you know the food system and how easily it can it can grind to a halt, and you know that's one of the things like that we do here. You know we're we're. We, have, we say, like, eat with your eyes wide open. We're sort of wildly transparent and fiercely, you know, uh, um, open about what we do as far as um, field harvesting animals. And when we, part of our mission is connecting people to where their food comes from. Because, um, uh, like you said, most people have no clue. They think steaks magically appear wrapped in plastic at Safeway. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, when I field harvest an animal, the next morning, I... When I kill it, I take a picture of the animal on the ground, not nothing gory or bloody, but, but a picture of the bison, and then once it's been skinned and halved um, and washed, I take a picture of it at the processor, and then the next morning, I send those two pictures to the four people that bought that animal and say, hey, I field-harvested your animal yesterday. It's now dry-aging. Um, and man, people really have re- responded to that, you know? And yeah. um, and then when we, when we deliver the animal or ship it to them, we send them uh, a little bit of hair from that animal that they're eating, tied around a little sprig of sagebrush from the ranch, and it's just another like
0: oh, wow, how cool! And
2: and an, yeah, you know it's like you know just thinking like this meat just didn't magically appear. An animal died for it, which is a, which is you know it's super healthy. It's a great thing, um, and I guess it's a good segue to my T-shirt that I'm that I'm
0: yeah, uh, tell us about that wearing.
2: Yeah, so. I guess, you know, I feel, you know. so as I said, previously I worked for an environmental group, a really great environmental group, NRDC for almost a decade, I'm still friends with a lot of folks there, um, but what I've seen, you know, I've seen over the years is that meat has been, meat has been so vilified, um, I joke like it, when I was at a dinner, a work dinner, like you'd go around the table and it'd be like, um, you know, salad with tofu, salad with tofu, salad with tofu, and I'd be like. Cheeseburger. Sorry. Oh, my God. I'm a bad person. Um, and, you know, um, and so I think, you know, like um, this idea that um, meat is bad, you know, it, an animal dies, it kills animals. It's bad for the climate. Well, there's no doubt, I guess, just, just set this aside, that, like factory farming, feed all that stuff, which is 99 percent of it is very bad. When you say don't eat meat, you're you're throwing the baby out with the bathwater and you're painting with way too broad a brush. It's much more nuanced than that. And you know, I like you guys, I'm a big meat hunter um, and care a lot about where my food comes from. And so, you know, and then as I started to learn more and more about the science around this stuff, like I always tell folks like it, you know, like if you go eat a processed vegan burger and you don't think that animals, wildlife, etc, were were killed somehow in that process. Like I have an oceanfront condo in Kansas City that you've got to take a look at <laughs> cuz um but it's right. like a it's a really you know it's just a very easy narrative, right? Like right. vegetarian, plant-based or just for just plant-based foods, nothing dies, feel good about it, you're going to help the climate, you're going to save the earth when that's it's just not true. Mm-hmm. And i listened to this podcast recently with the founder of impossible foods and um it was on how i built this and apparently this guy pat brown is i guess a former scientist at sanford and it was really aggravating because he um you know he glosses over. he he, i don't know how to describe but he kind of presents him he said that when he set out to make impossible foods he said i was i said what's the biggest issue Confronting the world right now, and he said, "I, you know, that that's climate change," and I wanted to f- fix climate change. And so he developed the Impossible Burger um, because you know he thinks the livestock industry is so horrible, animal agriculture is bad. He t- is seeking to end it. People like me are on the wrong side of history, um, and um, and again, from a climate standpoint, there's an environmental consulting firm that did a life cycle assessment of. Impossible Foods, his company, as well as Will Harris's White Oak Pastures. So the exact same company. And they found that White Oak Pastures was a carbon sink. It's their, their carbon footprint is negative. Like they're, they're sucking carbon out of the atmosphere. Where Impossible Foods is a carbon emitter. They're a net emitter. Mm. So I'm thinking, and this guy never mentioned it. And I'm, it's like, one, your whole identity is you're a scientist from Stanford. So if you're a credible scientist, you should be presenting the science and you're not presenting the science. You're, um, if you were, you would talk about this study about white oak pastures that you clearly know about. And then two, if you really, really care about climate change, which is the, apparently the reason you set out to create this company, you should really be buying meat from white oak pastures because from a carbon standpoint, they have a smaller carbon footprint than you do. Um, and anyways, I, I and and so I just this narrative of you know, you know, go buy a, a a Beyond Meat or a Beyond Burger or Impossible Burger, no guilt. It's great for you, great for the environment. Um, when it's bullshit, it's just more complicated than that. And and so last summer, you know, out, out on the ranch, a lot of time by myself, um, you know, so plenty of time to think. But man, I'm you know, I'm seeing bees and butterflies of every color. And as you know, our our pollinators, our bees and butterflies are. Like massively declining. It's a global crisis, yeah. and that's happening from the use of pesticides, like Roundup Ready corn, that's killing habitat, as well as neonic, as well as neonic pesticides. Um, habitat loss, like you know, monarch butterflies have evolved with they need milkweed. That they're like very, very closely tied to the plant milkweed. Um, and so when I see groups and companies saying, "Eat, eat less meat, eat plant-based to save the environment." And then at the same time saying we need to save our bees and save our pollinators, it just—it started driving me nuts because when it's I it's a I've
0: contradiction. Seen, yeah, it's a contradiction. Right, and also
2: like I see when people eat plant-based, and I at the end of the day do what you want, you know. But, but let's just—I guess I just feel like let's, let's just talk in an informed way about it because when when they say eat eat less meat, eat plant. People are not planting backyard gardens like you. They're going down to the grocery store and buying a bunch, typically processed crap. And that processed crap is the result of really bad farming practices that is exactly what's killing bees and butterflies. So I think it's just it's crazy and ironic that out of you know your right hand saying we need to save the bees and butterflies and your left hand is saying you gotta eat the foods that are killing the bees and butterflies. So yeah. We made the shirts. that's a it's a bison with bees and butterflies on it, and I didn't want it to be like a big you know bison marketing type thing. So just says very simple: save bees and butterflies, eat grass fed meat, and <laughs> you know really I guess it's to kind of like get people thinking. Oh, like huh? What really? I never really thought about that. I thought meat was bad, and I thought Impossible Burgers were going to save the world. Um, so I just you know I just think like the more I think it all. It's all this stuff is related, you know, like the more that people think about where their food comes from. I saw a good quote the other day. Um, I think it was this like sustainable dish. This woman, uh, I think her name is Diana Rogers. She's coming out with a, a movie called Sacred Cow. She's got a great Instagram account, but it was um, something like, you know, everything dies, right? Like whether it's plants, soil, worms, and um, we all have an impact. Let's be honest about it. And whether it's from an environmental standpoint or a social standpoint, um, uh, we have a long way to go, um, but these, uh, you know, it's, I guess it's the old, if it's too good to be true, it probably is. Um, if that, if that's how it goes, I often screw up little, little cliche sayings like that, um, well, you know, look, look, uh, but anyway, so yeah, get, uh, uh, that's where the t-shirt came from.
0: That's awesome. They're awesome t-shirts. So you have them for sale North or Bison as com, right? And People yeah. can go there and support you guys and get those, and you guys have an amazing place out there. We went out there, and it, it was still snowy and cold when we went, but we definitely need to come back, and I'd like to field harvest, do a field harvest with you and see what you do and film it and put that out for people, because I remember doing the podcast you describing like what you do for one animal and bison are huge. You know, they're not like a little doe deer. They're like ginormous. And when you drove us out into the field with the bison, um, you just see, you know, they really are magnificent creatures and they're really big. So field harvesting a bison is, you know, I was like, how many do you do a day? That sounds like a lot of work. And you were kind of like, yeah, it's a lot of work. Um, but, (laughs) I think, too, when it comes to food, I think we've got this idea right of cheap, and then what I've noticed is the more nutrient-dense food you eat, the less food you actually need to consume, Um, and the cheaper food you eat, the more you need to eat because it creates a lot of metabolic resistance and insulin and blood sugar dysregulation, so you're kind of always hungry. And this is the problem we see with vegetarians who are not really knowledgeable at getting their protein quality, Um, and even then it's hard to get a lot of nutrient-dense food from strictly just plants. And what I've noticed is if people spend the money on the higher quality nutrient-dense food, like their meat and their fats. and You know, And then they have their fiber with their vegetables or whatever, but you're spending that little bit of extra money. In the long run, you're actually spending probably the same, if not less, because you don't need to eat as much, and you get more nutritional value from it. And I think that we, you know, and and people would probably say that, like, you and I are privileged, so this is really easy for us to talk about this, because we're privileged people who... You know, obviously you have bison, you can just go eat bison. My husband hunts, I can just go get some elk out of the freezer. I'm very privileged. I don't have to do it. Um, and in a lot of ways, yeah, maybe that's true, right? If you live in downtown Chicago or you live in the projects or and all the only thing in the grocery stores that you have access to is poor quality, cheap food. Um, it may be no like fault of your own. You know what I mean? Like you were raised with that, that's what you have. food deserts yeah yeah these large companies they prey on those populations because they don't really have the choice and um, you could even say that about really rural areas like Native American reservations I mean Montana is a huge food desert if you want to talk about you know native issues and native health and ranchers and farmers that live like out in eastern Washington, like literally out in the middle of nowhere, it takes them like six hours, four hours to get to you in a hospital. Um, You know, those are food deserts. Those are places where people are not having just readily access to go buy, like go to the co-op and buy this nutritious food. Um, Or they don't have the money to order a box online. And I think this is why it would be great if the legislation was more directed at helping all those people. So the food subsistence that we give these, you know, lower income people or people in the inner city, you know, they're getting boxes of fresh vegetables and they're getting healthy meat. And it's not like they they just get the cheap food, right? Um, And then people like you and I who can't afford this and who are willing to spend our money on this, you know, we can help subsidize those programs where people who are less fortunate are still going to have access to that food. Um, and personally, like for me, I'm, I'm like one of these people. Like, food is the first thing I'll spend good money on. Like, I don't have any other habits. I, I don't. I mean, now I don't even go out to eat, and I have to say, I don't miss it at all. Like, it's the COVID thing for me, and it's it's really been devastating to businesses and to the service industry and obviously to farmers who are selling meat to restaurants and stuff and vegetables and all that. But I think it's brought us back to this, like people eat at home, right? Like cooking meals, yeah. like making food for yourself and not just relying on other people to do it for you and then paying the high price. I mean, if you're eating out every day, you're spending so much money. And then to say you don't have the money to buy like healthy bison, um, If you add up what you spend on Starbucks and, you know, even going to the co-op and eating lunch every day, you're, you're, you're looking at a hefty price tag. So, um, I think it's good that we start getting, we start realizing too that we have a lot of control and typically when people cook, they tend to eat less. They tend to overeat. They tend to not overeat as much. Right. Um, and so I think I see the positivity in that and that's kind of the, the, the way that I go is teaching people that you could spend the money on it and you don't have to eat as much because you're satiated, it's healthier food for you, and it's going to bring you better quality of life and energy and that kind of thing. And I don't think that has to be strictly just for the privileged people, you know, the people that can afford this. This could be available to everybody. And... um for me that would be more right. the goal right is that everybody has access to this type of food and and unfortunately the the bigger things that be out there make that hard to do because like we said the food deserts and the monopolies that these big companies have so sharing your food with other people is important too <laughs> people that right. don't right no have i
2: mean much. i no i think it's a great point We're yeah i mean clearly very 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 privileged very lucky um and you know, like that's another you know huge issue of uh, you know food deserts, cost of food, cost of good food. Um, but the thi- you know, again, I mean, I think if we could, if we can, you know, change some of the rules and regulations and the subsidies, um, the incentives, the you know the, the status quo, because the and many people, I mean, one, there's a lot of people doing amazing work on that stuff right now. You know, which which is great. Um, and also a lot of people have written and 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 talked about you know very eloquently the way I mean the irony of course is that cheap food's not cheap right like it might be cheap like it might cost 3.99 per pound or something or a buck 99 but you know the 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 environmental impact of all the pesticides and topsoil being lost in Mississippi and just all, all of that stuff um you know um, Smithfield isn't paying for that. It's the, the citizens of this country that, and, and uh, you know, our grandkids that are going to be paying for that. It's all being, as they say, you know, externalities. It's all being externalized. The companies aren't being forced to deal with that or address it. Um, and then you know, the working conditions in there, like um, you know, the, that's brutal stuff. So that's that 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 if it's if that is what it takes to get cheap food, that's a real problem, and that food's not cheap because it has a cost. It has a human cost. Forget the environmental part of it. Just the human side of it. Um, you know, the exploitation of farm workers and plant workers, um, it's brutal. It's horrible. Um, I mean, some of the stuff here that finally is really, really, really um, coming out left and right right now, um, and some of it's so hypocritical, And uh, but anyways, yeah, I mean, it's the... the but, yes. Yeah, so we have systems in place... So that we can get cheap food at Walmart, but the reality is that there are big costs to that cheap food that our society is absorbing. I mean, you know better than me. I mean, the medical costs, healthcare, yeah. the obesity epidemic, diabetes. I mean, all of these things. And 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 so yeah, it's like you can get some dirt cheap food, um, but man, we we are really paying the price. Uh, Smithfield, JBS, Cargill, like their, you know, um, the corporate suite of their headquarters might be, you know, making it's, it's zillions of dollars in some of their shareholders. But the rest of society in the country are the ones absorbing all of those costs, environmentally, medically, socially. Um, so, you know, cheap food, that's bullshit. Like, it's not cheap. It, you know, it's, it, it has huge costs. And so if, if, the, if those costs were actually borne by those companies, and they absorbed them. Then all of a sudden, you know, a grass-fed burger isn't isn't isn't, isn't you know. It, I guess it would look a lot different, price-wise, cost-wise, if you're inclu- if you're incorporating all the costs that go into it, all the different stuff. That's going to look a lot different than the dirt-cheap burger um, that was produced on the backs of you know brutal labor, brutal environmental costs, and um, you know our you know the strain on people's health and all that stuff so it's complicated stuff i feel like i know it's getting close to eight o'clock we got to end on a positive note which again like you know things are changing which is good more people are buying direct from farmers and and ranchers than ever before people need to keep doing that they need to just keep you know um telling their friends to do it just need to all have a more i guess open conversation about this stuff and and um um yeah that's what i i just uh um, obviously very passionate about it and but i guess you know the bottom line is that we are seeing that our 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 food system as as we, as as it stands today is is not functional um it's not durable it's very fragile and it needs to change and the the best way to change it like anything is is consumers you know is yeah. you know, speak with your dollars your votes and um um so yeah uh that's that's that's, how, that's Well, the feel. more
0: I read, the more I realize that actually changing the conditions and understanding farm, farming practices themselves and seeking out people who are not doing that large-scale farming will improve over time, just like organic. Remember, organic used to be like a dirty word, and now it's like, you know, it it changes because consumer demand changes things and it may not take a year it may not take five but in 10 years we you know if people demand it typically what starts to happen is these things will change and so for our environment i feel that it's really important that we look into these especially the meat industry and it's um and you know its impact that it has on our environment um good and bad definitely good like what you're talking about for sure regenerative and holistic agriculture um definitely has a positive impact so okay i don't want instagram to shut us down so i'm gonna say thank you you are awesome yeah i will probably have other topics we can chat about but everybody go support matt and his family they are doing amazing work get some bison from him if you don't if you need meat it's amazing stuff We, we had it we love it it's um It's wonderful meat, it's well cared for. And yeah. Thank you so much. Okay.
2: Awesome. Good to see you, Santa Ryan. uh, Okay. Yeah, stay healthy.
0: Yeah, you too. Talk to you later, Matt.
2: Okay. Bye. Bye, Hilary. See ya.
0: Yeah. We have the idea that if we were to let go of fear, our main defense mechanism, we would become vulnerable in some way in reality the truth is just the opposite fear is itself fear is what blinds us to the real dangers of life in fact fear itself is the